0: everyone welcome back to the ninth circle of hell which is british columbia this is the philosopher's stone podcast how you doing sam how are you are you cooking alive like we are on the west coast over here mm, it's it's humid but it's not
1: as it's not as hot as it is out there definitely not
0: it is beyond anything i ever hoped to witness yeah And by that, I mean, I hope to never witness this again because it is absolutely an oppressive, a nonstop oppressive force on your skin. It's nuts. I'm lucky I have AC and I live in a basement suite. I've never been so happy to be like a lower class citizen and live in a (laughs) basement suite. It is just so nice because it, I mean, they keep it cranked in my house to, to cool down the upstairs, so it's like almost too cold in, in my basement. Like I, I'll put on a sweater sometimes at night, but work has been an absolute. I just, it's just not worth the money to me to have to work through this shit. But uh, they did have mercy on us today. We got a half day today. Right around noon is like I start having almost like panic attack levels of overheating.
1: Man, you gotta stay stay hydrated.
0: Oh, dude, it t- there's not enough water in the world to keep you from overheating when it's that hot. There's sidewalks in my city that are just buckling from heat.
1: Really? Isn't that nuts? The sidewalks are breaking? Yeah. The the ground beneath your feet is cracking. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I know. Like, I don't even know if this house is going to survive this. Hopefully, I mean, it's supposed to come down a bit next week, but I think we're in, like, I saw this thing, I don't know how accurate it is, but we're in like a, almost like a whirlpool of like a heat vortex that is just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter and like the way that it's happened it's like it's primed to just keep getting hotter
1: so hypothetically it could get so hot that it just incinerates everything yeah
0: just in the one just in bc and like northwestern states like washington and I doubt that I don't think that website that I saw was like the most credible scientific thing <laughs> I've ever seen. It's just based on like the the actual like icons they used and like you know how they make like something seem so bombastic with just like the colors and the and the the uh the headlines. It's like, okay, this seems like this is like borderline on conspiracy right now.
1: Well, yeah, clearly this is harp. This is the uh High Altitude Radio Relay or whatever that stands for. Right, 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 right. And uh, they're using it to create a a heat weather event over uh, the Northwest to convince everybody that global warming is real. But we all know that this is just uh, a government. I can't believe I never thought of that. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious once you realize it.
0: It is obvious. Once you find the right YouTube conspiracy videos,
1: it all becomes very obvious to me. Everything makes sense all of a sudden. Why is it so wild? Well, obviously, it's a government uh, black ops antenna thing. I'm actually
0: surprised how many people have opted to get the vaccine based on how much conspiracy theory I see flying across my social media.
1: Yeah, seriously.
0: Because we're at like 78% of British Columbians right now are vaccinated at least one dose.
1: I'm getting my first dose tomorrow.
0: Oh, you're getting your first dose tomorrow? Yeah, it's taking me a while. Lucky you. It really is like there is a weight off your shoulders because i I know that there's like lots of people do get fully recovered, but there is a lot of like weird shit that happens to people that have had it, yeah, I don't know how widespread that is these like lingering symptoms, and who knows like what what it could have done like what it could do to you later on if you had it when you were young, but
1: it plants a seed, yeah, I guess you could say the same about the vaccine, yeah, good point, yeah. I mean the whole idea that it's like well we don't know what the long term effects are well it's like hmm, how long term are we talking what is this like it puts like a seed in you and in 30 years you blow up or something like
0: I mean I from what I read and I obviously I will remember the things that make me feel not anxious that if you're going to have an adverse effect from a vaccine it's usually not like years down the road it's usually like within weeks yeah and I think the way that these vaccines work, you never get an actual piece of the virus in you. So, right? I, I don't know. It's, it, it's a... You and I are not scientists, Sam. We are philosophers, are we not? Yeah,
1: we're scientists' daddies.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Call us daddy.
1: <laughs> All you scientists out there. Or mommy and daddy. Are... Is there a non-gendered parent name? A non-what? Gendered parent name? Like a non, non non-binary parent name? Just parent? Hmm. Like, dad is considered male, mom is considered female.
0: I've read they're starting to call them birthing people.
1: Birthing, birthers. <laughs> you mother birther.
0: Yeah, you mother birther. <laughs> you sicken me. Are you nervous about your vaccine? No. I, I've I, heard stories. I know of one person personally that had a bad reaction to it, and you know him as well, and he ended up in the hospital for a week. But Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: Can you tell me their name off air?
0: Uh, It rhymes with sata <laughs> oh okay yeah, that makes sense activated his shingles
1: oh fuck. so oh my god
0: yeah we all have shingles in us and i guess this activated his shingles was caused all sorts of problems he's doing better now but he's still like not 100 percent. so other than him everyone i know has been flying colors no no problems
1: imagine if he'd gotten the real virus holy shit
0: who knows it could have been way worse if he got it yeah yeah seriously I will say that if you have things to do the next day, you might want to reschedule them because it was...
1: Uh, Canada Day? Excuse me? I, I'm not going to reschedule <laughs> my colonial celebrations here. Uh, Canada Day's canceled,
0: you bitch. Don't ever think about it again. In fact, if you see anything <laughs> red,
1: immediately bury it in the ground. Man, they, they just had uh, like multiple flyovers over Ottawa of like military jets in formation. Like not, not fifteen minutes ago.
0: Uh, in as like a Canada Day thing.
1: I don't know if they're prepping for Canada Day. Or if they're like sneaking this in a couple of days early. <laughs>
0: mm, weird. I don't know. I've been seeing a lot of things on social media about cancel Canada Day. Uh, mm, yeah. Because of the the discoveries at the residential schools. Yeah. Which I don't have a problem with. If people don't want to celebrate it, as you don't, a you don't form have of a problem with
1: the residential schools. You don't have a problem with it.
0: No, that's not what he said. <laughs> No, I don't have a problem with people wanting to hashtag cancel Canada. That's what they feel is the right thing to do. That's more power to them. The one thing I thought, because a lot of them are like, we don't need to like you. You wouldn't set off fireworks while someone's having a funeral next door, right? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, (laughs) true enough. Depends you die. Like this big push, (laughs) no fireworks, nothing like that. But I don't know if this is being straight up ignorant. But I think that most of the firework sellers. (laughs) <laughs> are indigenous. Are they not? Are we not, like, taking a huge piece of profit from them?
1: Um, Yeah, good good question. Good question. With this movement? That is a good question.
0: I'm thinking that there might be, because, like, all the firework uh, stores I've ever been to in Western Canada are mm. run by indigenous people. So, yeah, like, did anyone, is this one of those cases where it's a bunch of white people Deciding what the right thing to do is for non-white people again,
1: <laughs> mm.
0: where in reality they're like, "No, please celebrate. We want to. Fe- we need to. We want to make some money from these fireworks."
1: I don't know. I don't know. I don't. They make that much money from them, like. But yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that's an unintended consequence. You know, selling fireworks. Like maybe they
0: don't make like the big big fireworks show fireworks, but like individual fireworks that people would buy. Most yeah. of them are buying them from. Native land yeah so i think this probably is gonna this is this whole movement of cancel canada day and don't light up fireworks might have a, an unintended negative effect on some of their pockets
1: yeah they yeah they need to just rebrand the day like keep the fireworks and everything but instead of calling instead of this year instead of calling it canada day that this year we rebranded and but i guess celebrations are appropriate in general
0: yeah, celebrations are, are. It does seem like a weird. Uh, <laughs> it does seem like it would be weird to celebrate it this year. I'm not going to dress up in like the colors and have like a huge Canada. No, this is awesome themed party. That's for sure. No, I haven't done that in years. Anyways,
1: no, 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 no. I do. I mean, it was fun to do that back in the day. But uh, yeah, this year.
0: It was fun. Yeah, this year seems a little weird.
1: Yeah. I'm still probably gonna. I'll get like white claw or something like that. Like drink
0: that. Oh, I'm still getting together with some friends and getting drunk. We're just not going to talk about Canada at all. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Don't talk about Canada. Yeah, better not to bring it up.
0: (laughs) Don't even mention it.
1: Don't even mention it. Don't mention it. Yeah, wear wear an orange shirt if you have one.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna buy one depth charge firecracker and throw it in the lake
1: in solidarity. Ah, well, you could burn down a Catholic church. You could do that.
0: That you know what I'm all for that like let's burn them all down. Then, Catholic then
1: your, Yeah, then you get your big fire show too. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm totally. I don't even know where the Catholic Church are, the Catholic churches are in my city. I, I really don't. You can find.
1: them. Okay, here's a compromise. You buy fireworks from indigenous land or from a reservation. Yeah. And then you fire the fireworks at a Catholic church, light it up. There you go.
0: There you go. There
1: you go. Everybody's happy.
0: That should have happened a long time ago. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I think all churches need to go just get it's completely demolished by fire. You can have. You can, I'm not saying. I'm not saying like if if you want to be religious, more power to you. But organized religion can we not all just like see it as it is at this point? Organized religion is a recipe for disaster. Mm, it's a grift.
1: Yeah. It used to be useful, oh. but it hasn't been useful for a long time. I'm listening to this fantastic. Sorry, we're getting a bit off topic here but I've been listening to this fantastic audiobook called Hyperion I think I've heard of that uh, there's this like parasitic creature that like creates like it's like this weird religious parasite sort of thing it's like this parasite it's shaped in the form of a cross yeah and if you put it if you put it on your chest or like on your body it like binds to you and then it becomes like your own dna and it just like spreads through your body and if you ever die it resurrects you oh but like slightly worse than you were before like slightly less intelligent yeah and like over time as you die as it as it, as this cycle goes over and over and over again gradually you become androgynous you lose all your sex organs and you just become possessed by this belief that you must kill anything that is not of the cruciform oh huh.
0: yeah that is crazy That's but nice. here's another question that you've just posed to my brain would you want to be brought back to life, but with half of your wit and intelligence.
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a good question.
0: Because your life, none of your friends are going to want to hang out with you.
1: Do I get any compensation? Like, do I get like super strength or something? Or like, do I get compensated for this loss of intelligence?
0: They give you a pink teddy bear and they tell you that it's your friend. Oh, I'm... that's how dumb you are. Oh, so I, that's I... your compensation. So I'm you're a half you're a half wit is what you are.
1: Okay, and I don't get any. I don't get, like, a any upswing. Like, there's no... Like, you know how people, like, maybe if they're blind, but, like, their other senses are, are sharpened? Yeah. So I'm a halfwit, but do I have anything else going for me here? No. No. Okay.
0: No. You just get to cheat death once. That's it. But you now you're a halfwit, and you're kind of a burden on society. Oh. I don't have, like,
1: a huge dick or anything? Just a halfwit?
0: <laughs> okay. Halfwit, huge dick. That's what you get. Okay. But you don't know how to... Like... I feel like there's only, like, I don't know if girls just jump on a dick because it's big. I think you still have to have some sort of, like, game. You know what I mean?
1: No, no, no. I'm, I don't have game. I am, it's just, it's just, I'm just the half wit and I'm a consequence free, consequence free, free fuck with a big dick. That's it.
0: (laughs) You think that's what girls are going to think?
1: Wow. (laughs) There, there you go.
0: This is a consequence-free layer. right I'd here. be like a, yeah.
1: Schlong. I'm like a novelty. I'm like a novelty.
0: <laughs> You're like Hodar.
1: Hodar, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I think that one chick wanted to bang Hodar.
1: Oh, the giant! You got some giant in you, haven't uh, you?
0: <laughs> Let me <laughs> see that big meat
1: sandwich. <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, no, no, I like my intelligence too much. I, I don't think I would want to do that.
0: Yeah. And I think like a huge, huge cock would just be really a curse, you know.
1: Well, okay, yeah. I don't mean huge, like because pe- people don't respect.
0: They don't respect big cocks. It's like it is like a circus act. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a it's a spectacle, but it's not it's not a it's not a cock that you want to like live with, depending no, on no, the no, side. Yeah. Like, are we talking yeah. huge, huge? No, I don't mean like circus like,
1: freak. I just mean like like very desirable. Okay. A, a, a cock that puts other cocks Opt, optimum, an optimum, yeah, the optimal optimal cock,
0: yeah. Okay, the other cocks <laughs> in the room know which cock is the alpha cock when that cock's swinging, right? Like that's the size. It's not something ab like freakish, but it definitely commands respect. Exactly. Okay, that's pretty good. That's I think that's the sweet zone.
1: But you're a half, but I'm a half up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> All right, well, I'm glad we got that sorted. Now that the important questions have been answered, we can get to the random philosophy bullshit of the week.
0: Yeah, people usually fast-forward the philosophy part, philosophy part of this podcast, I'm pretty sure, so.
1: Yeah, just turn it off after 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, they know the first 10 minutes where all the juice is.
1: <laughs> the juicy bits. Uh, well, this week we are talking about um, a, a philosopher who believed that intelligence is the most important aspect of a person, basically. Their autonomy, their rationality.
0: Well, I, that I'm not, I'm that doesn't. I have no qualms with that as is.
1: Um, it's actually we're we're going deeper into the question that we got asked asked on the last episode, which was to summarize the categorical imperative of Immanuel Kant. Right, and we didn't quite didn't quite do it justice. So I wanted to spend more time on it because it's a, it's a big deal in philosophy.
0: All right. Yeah. Cause I was like, I wasn't even understanding. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you a, a single thing about it, even though you kind of explained it last week. Yeah. Don't worry. I have a short memory like a rabbit.
1: Yeah. Don't worry. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll nail it this time. I think it's goldfish that have smart, short memories, right?
0: Well, I don't think rabbits are thinking too far in the past, are they?
1: They got to remember like where their hole is and everything. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: it's debatable. <laughs> they forget where it is. They make a new one, right? I think that's how it goes.
1: But, like, they're out in the field, right? And, like, a falcon is dive-bombing them. They got to make it quick to the hole. They got to remember exactly where that hole is. Yeah. That's that's how I think.
0: Well, I think they just go for whatever hole is available.
1: You know what I'm saying? Ah, I see. They're oppor- opportunists. And
0: I think that's how they just live their lives in general, with mating and shelter. Whatever hole is available, they just run straight for it. That's why there's so many of them. That's true.
1: They, then they have big, uh, big batches of... Babies or whatever they're called. Batch, <laughs> nice batch of bunnies you got there, bud. <laughs> batch of bunnies. Yeah,
0: I carry my batch of bunnies in a nice basket on the way to Brooklyn. <laughs> um, go ahead, let's get into this.
1: Okay, all right. So, um, to understand Immanuel Kant, we have to understand who he was. Uh, I guess you might say who he was like arch rival of philosophy or his arch nemesis in philosophy was. Okay, and. It's a guy we've met before many times, our good old friend, David Hume.
0: David Hume. David Hume. Oh, I fucking knew it, man. I knew it.
1: Yeah. The smug, smug face himself. That guy's got rival written all over him. <laughs> yeah, he's a cocky bastard. So if you remember, David Hume had all these crazy arguments, right? Because he was this empiricist. And he thought that the only way we can get knowledge is from our senses, right? Mm-hmm. So the only way that you come to know anything is, like, by taking stuff in from your senses. Okay. So, and he thought that this meant that there's a whole bunch of things that we actually don't really know for sure. So, um, for example, the famous example that he would give is the white, the swan, the white swan and the black swan. Okay. So suppose that all your life you've only ever seen white swans, right? Mm-hmm. Okay? You've never even heard anyone talk about a black swan before. you never even heard about it. have only ever seen white swans. I've only ever seen white swans in okay. reality. The only right.
0: black swan I know was that freaking movie with what's-her-face where she turns into a swan at the end, right? The
1: ballerina? Yeah, uh, Natalie Borman. Yeah. Right. Black swan. Trippy, trippy, fucked-up movie. Never seen it. Bal- ballet, brutal sport. Brutal. It's. Oh, Did you just call ballet a sport? Or <laughs> art form, whatever. It's like a... Whatever it is, it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> bad for people it is true what was i gonna say oh yeah so uh so suppose so all of your experience tells you is that all swans are white that's what your experience tells you but you cannot deduce from this that all swans are in fact white because all it will take is for you to see one black swan and then now you know not all swans are white anymore yeah so no matter how much experience you get of something you can never be sure that The next day, or right around the corner, something's going to happen, which is going to contradict that experience. You can never be sure. Mm -hmm. So, the best you can do is what Hume would call induction. The best you can do is you can talk about probabilities, but you can never get to any certainty that things in the future are always going to be the way that they've been in the past. You don't know that for sure. Yeah. I think we did talk about this before on the podcast about
0: how you can only induce that the sun is going to be up tomorrow
1: as well. Yeah. You don't know. It might, you just don't know. You just know from experience that it usually does come up. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. It's like you don't know what you don't know. Right. And you're sort of limited by, you think you have enough information to make a conclusion, but maybe you don't. You don't really know. Yeah. And if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> now you know. And uh, so Hume had a lot of other really strange arguments. For example, he argued that we have no knowledge of cause and effect. Uh, all we can say is we can sort of guess that events of a certain type typically follow events of another type. That's all we can say. Right. We don't actually see any real cause and effect. And then finally, he had one one of the biggest uh, things he made was this is-ought distinction, which is that you can't get ought from is.
0: Hmm. Yeah, we definitely talked about this before one time, but I'm, I'm tr- I can't remember exactly.
1: Yeah, it's good to have a refresher. So, he said, uh, you can't get ought from is. So, if you only get knowledge from your senses, your senses only tell you what is happening, sort of. Right. Your senses don't tell you what ought to be happening.
0: Okay. Would you agree with that? I mean, yes. Actually, I would, yeah. Yeah? Your senses only tell you what the current state is. You can't really, for certain, know what's going to happen.
1: Suppose you see someone... Punch a little girl and steal her teddy bear and run away. Mm-hmm. You ought to laugh, but you might not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do your senses tell you what you ought to do in that situation, <laughs> or how you ought to feel? Yeah. Um, I think we talked about
0: this again before with about like kicking a dog or something.
1: Okay, well, no, forget the dog or whatever. Um, I think I think you're 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 agreeing that your senses just tell you, just show you what is happening. They don't. Show you what ought to be happening. Yes, and
0: you can deduce what you what happened and how you should feel about that. But you never know if that girl like was a super hyper intelligent girl that had like his his family's uh, some key to the guys. She was holding his family hostage with a <laughs> magical item in her purse, and she was about to shatter it on the ground, which would make all of his family die forever. So he had to punch her out. Oh yeah, his his like
1: loved one their soul was trapped in the teddy bear. She'd-
0: yeah. So he had to punch her out and take, yeah, and take to save his loved ones. And yeah, she's no, not no. actually a little girl. She's a, a thousand year old spirit from another world that just took over her body. See, we don't know these things when we see him punch her. And pop her. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that, that was a nice, that was a nice example of that. Yeah. So, <laughs> So the consequence of this is that if your senses are only telling you what is and you are only getting knowledge from your senses, then you don't have any knowledge of what ought to be. Well, I got opinions. Right. But you don't like knowledge is something that you know. And when we say knowledge in a philosophical sense, we mean like knowledge in a very high level.
0: Okay. I'm starting to remember why I don't like Hume. (laughs) Yeah. You don't know the sun's going to come up tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know. Yeah. I guess technically, we no one knows that for sure because it hasn't fucking happened yet.
1: Yeah. But when he's saying like you don't have knowledge about what ought to be, that means you don't know what right and wrong is. Oh, okay. Because your senses don't tell you what's right and wrong. No. And you only get knowledge from your senses. So where does your knowledge of right and wrong come from? You tell me, Jordan. The Bible comes from the Christian Bible. Do you have any knowledge that God exists? Have you ever seen God with your senses?
0: No, man. That would make it too easy. So then you don't have any knowledge of God. You see, God wants it to be incredibly difficult to believe in Him. That's how He gets off.
1: But how do you know God is God is real in the first place? How do you know what God wants? Even He's never told you what He wants.
0: I thought I already right, told you. It says it in the Bible. So you didn't see God write the
1: Bible. I don't have to see God write the Bible. It says He did in the Bible, and it also says that the Bible is true. Now you're so. begging the question. Now you're begging the question. What? You're saying that the Bible is God's word because it says because God says He wrote because the Bible says that it's God's word. Yeah. I don't get what the issue is here. The issue is that you can't use as a premise for your conclusion. You can't have your conclusion be a premise in the same argument.
0: Okay, so you're trying to tell me that God lied when he said that he wrote the Bible? (laughs) No, I'm
1: saying that you don't know that God wrote the
0: Bible. Uh, Okay, okay, uh, it says it right there, but
1: whatever. Okay, so... So that's
0: (laughs) That's truly how a lot of religious people will argue. It's insane to me.
1: It says it right there. God wrote it.
0: I don't get what the problem is here. It clearly says it right there.
1: Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so Kant heard this. And uh, he had the famous quote that he says when he read Hume's arguments. He said it awoke him from his dogmatic slumber. Ah. I think we talked about that in the context of a a tattoo above the anus.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we have a ton of tattoos already on this podcast. My entire back is pretty much taken up now. Yeah,
1: yeah. so Kent's whole project is basically to confront Hume's conclusion here that we have no knowledge of right and wrong. Because mm-hmm. Kant can't believe that we definitely do have knowledge about right and wrong. And he thought that we can get this knowledge from our pure reason alone. We don't even need experience. Okay, interesting. So it's a big difference. Big difference between Kent and Hume.
0: My instinct tells me that you should that you wouldn't be able to do that, but let's see what he's got can't
1: can't never tell him what he can't do. <laughs> do you think that was his catchphrase? <laughs> well, he was German, so I don't think it means the same thing, but <laughs> Kunst? Uh, oh, maybe it's true yeah. uh, I don't know how to speak German anyway.
0: I used to be fluent, and I still can't tell you
1: yeah uh, tragedy, dead language tragedy so can't he believe that we actually can have knowledge without Experience, So we can have knowledge just from our own workings of our own pure reason. So here's where he starts his argument. Kant says, and this is immediately going to be contentious, but Kant says that every conscious being has an unshakable belief that they are morally responsible for actions that are within their control. Um, Unshakable. That's a strong word. He's basically saying everyone has a conscience. Mm-hmm. And this conscience sort of nudges them to think, well, what should I do? What does morality require? And everyone's morality might be different, right? Like some people might think, like, oh, what what would God want me to do? Or like, oh, what should, what does social convention suggest that I should do? Right. Or what does my favorite moral philosopher say that I should do? But everyone inevitably, when they they have a conscience, they think like, oh, I should consider what is right or what is wrong to do in this situation. And you feel guilty when you do what is what you know to be wrong.
0: So he's thinking that like you don't need to have any sort of. Like allegiance to any sort of uh, belief or thinker or whatever, right? Any sort of creed to know inside with something's
1: right or wrong. Well, he's, yeah, he's not. So he's not saying that you uh, you always know what is right or wrong, or that you always act and do what is according to what is right and wrong. But just that this is something that you inevitably consider. Okay, you you have a conscience, something that makes you think that there is a right or wrong. I see, I see, I see. There are odds in the world. Right, there are things that we ought to do, and he thinks that uh, just by virtue of being a uh, conscious, rational being, you have this this conscience. It's a factory setting for human beings that they have a consciousness that morality applies to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that I would say that goes for most humans. There, I'm sure. Like, if we're talking about psychopaths, we might be wading into a, a world where there is no oughts.
1: Yeah, they're they're a different different category. Mhm. They're they're a bit of a problem for this. They are a problem. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a t-shirt, not a tattoo, a t-shirt. Psychopaths, psychopaths are, are a problem. A problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's something most people can't agree with.
1: Yeah. You could add psychopaths are a problem for Emmanuel Kant's theory of practical reason, but that would be most people might not understand the t-shirt at that point.
0: Also, you'd you'd it would be extra cost for that. I mean, yeah, too more, much extra cost. Ink. Yeah. yeah. We want something simple.
1: Yeah. So, and this is like, uh, this. this extends to even people who we would say are like doing the wrong thing, right? Like people often feel the need to rationalize what they do so that they can feel like they were in the right. Right. Because people don't like to feel like they did something that was wrong. You remember Plato? Plato took it as far as to say that people can't do something if they think it's wrong. They have to... Think of a way in their head to make it right.
0: Uh I think people do something when they know it's wrong. Yeah, but I do know what he's what he means. Like they will. I think most people they they'll do something that they know is wrong, and then later they'll build up a narrative in their head as to why it wasn't actually that bad
1: because they can't bear the the guilt. Yeah,
0: they would rather make up a narrative in their in their head than have to face the
1: guilt. Right. So um. So Kant argues that. We have, on the one hand, we, when, when we're making decisions, we think about what is right or wrong. We just can't help it. And if we do, sometimes when we do what was wrong, we feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. And so he thinks that this, the fact that we, can, that we feel guilty about it implies that we could have done otherwise. Ah, I see. And the fact that we consider what we ought to do, like or what morality would require us to do, implies that it would be possible for us to do what morality requires us to do. Mm -hmm. So he argues that the fact that uh, it's this idea that ought implies can't. So if it is true that you ought to do something, then it follows that you are able to do something. Uh, I see. Because it would make no sense to say that you ought to do something if it's actually impossible for you to do it. How could you have an obligation on someone to do something that they can't do? Right. Morality would never require you to do something impossible.
0: Yeah. It's all with whatever's within your power. And if you choose to not use your power to do the right thing, then you're going to be feeling a little guilty out there. But if it's out of your hands completely, you're not going to be able to feel guilt about it, right?
1: Yeah. Kent thinks it's just basic common sense that you are not morally responsible for something that was outside of your control.
0: Makes sense and (laughs) sounds
1: good to me. Yeah. So, And so the fact that we can do it, so we know that we we can do it. And so that we know that we are always free to do what morality requires. Right. See, I think the
0: trick here is to people are always wanting to get more and more power, but then things more are more within your power to do things. Mm. But that just leads to a moral conundrum, right? Because you're always have you always have the power to do, to do the right thing if you have so much of it, right? So the trick is to really Get rid of all the power you can so you're never morally responsible for anything. That's hilarious. And thus, you never live a guilty life.
1: Yeah, just chain yourself up in a cell.
0: Yeah. Hey, I'm out of my hands. Couldn't do anything about it. Yep, my hands
1: are tied. Sorry. <laughs> um. But so, so this is an interesting point. This is where Kant gets kind of weird. So Kant is saying that we are always free to do whatever morality requires. And we also know that, uh, yeah, so we're always free to do what morality requires. But only if it's in our, and we're only free to do what things are that are in our control. Right. And so what is in our control? So according to Kant, something is within, within your control if you cause it to happen. If the cause originates in you, but it wasn't caused by something outside of you. Okay. So if something outside of you causes you to do something, then Kant would say, oh, that was not within your control. All right. It was only within your control if the cause originated in you. But this is a little weird. a little weird. It is a little weird, right? Because Kant was also a Newtonian. So he he was in the Newtonian time. And Newton had shown that basically all physical events are determined by prior events. Right. So every present physical state is determined by the past physical state. Everything is sort of bound by time. So here's what I,
0: like my first thing that flashed through my head when you said, uh, if it doesn't originate with you, you don't have a moral obligation to do anything. Mm-hmm. So say you're walking through the forest next to a river and you see a child fall into the river upstream and the parents are yelling at you because he's flowing down the river right past you. Uh-huh. And they're screaming at you, please grab him out of the water. But none of that originated because of you. So you morally aren't obligated to reach down and grab that child out of the water.
1: Yeah, and for all you know, that child might be the the spawn of Satan. You might be saving the Prince of Darkness. It might be that girl that that dude punched out. Yeah, exactly, an evil demon. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, no. So, uh, okay, so 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 no, no. Kant solves or he attempts to solve this by saying that the part of us. So so remember, Newton had shown that everything everything physical is bound by time. Mm-hmm. Every every present state was caused by a past state. Yeah. So if our present states were caused by past states, then our present states are not in our control. They're forced onto us by the past, basically.
0: Right. This is like a, uh, I have no moral responsibility because there's no free will, because everything that I do is, a, is a caused by something that happened before that was out of my control.
1: Very similar to that. So Kant's solution is to say that the part of ourselves that is morally responsible is outside of time an uncaused cause uh-oh that he calls the noumenal self
0: oh my god
1: yeah i don't like that suddenly i'm feeling responsible for a lot of shit <laughs> okay so that's his solution it's called transcendental idealism it's got all sorts of interesting problems but that will save those for another podcast i right. so that's how kant explains basically how it is that you can be morally responsible and how you know that you are morally responsible and that you are free all just from your pure reason alone without actually having to get any experience to tell you that. No, no, your experience doesn't tell you that. It's all just reason. Okay. So there are aughts. He so he says you so basically he's trying to show that you can get aughts without is. Like you can get aughts. You just get them from your pure reason. You figure out right and wrong with pure reason. Okay. You don't need experience.
0: I, I mean, yeah, I would agree with that, I would think. Yeah. I find I find I just tend to agree with whatever the last thing was
1: said, though. So <laughs> that's that's fine. That's fine. So we can talk about why it's wrong next time. Probably to run out of time today, but okay. So um, okay. So next, so the final part is so we've established that there are right and wrongs. Yes. And that we it's possible for us to follow them. So how do we do what morality requires? How do we figure out what we should do? So we have to. So basically, Kant's answer is that we need to figure out the rule that we should live by. What is how should we live? We need to live according to some rule. He was big on rules. Very rule-oriented person. Right. Very systematic thinker. All of his philosophy is like in these neat little systems. So he thought that basically whenever a rational being or an autonomous being does something, does an action, they are following a rule, whether they know it or not. Okay. So some people might like consciously live by the rule that like, uh, like, you might live by the rule, like, you know, I don't, I don't take any shit from anybody. Like, if someone gives me shit, well, I'm not going to take it.
0: <laughs> I definitely don't <laughs> live by that rule. I take shit from people all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, or someone might live by the rule that they never break the law. Like, this might not be a conscious rule, but, like, they just are really scared about breaking the law, so they never break it. Yeah, we call them pussies. <laughs> or you might live by the rule that uh, when you're, When you're struck by the desire to order a pizza, you order a pizza. You might live by that. Call them fatties. Doesn't have to be conscious. It's just that uh, you tend to, it's like the power of custom. You tend to start doing things according to like some sort of rule. Right. And this is called a maxim. Ah, maxim. Maxim. Yes. This is like,
0: that's where they got the magazine name from, right? Exactly. It's a maxim. Right. You feel like jerking off? Fucking grab one and go. That's, that's the maxim. <laughs> Every time. That's your
1: maxim. Yeah. The guy's your life. Gotta fuck. <laughs> Why deny yourself the pleasures of the flesh? Yeah. So if you follow the rule like, I want ice cream, I'm going to go to the store, so I should go to the store and buy ice cream. That's called a material maxim. Mm-hmm. Another kind of rule is called the hypothetical imperative. The hypothetical imperative is a rule that says if you want to gratify a desire, you should do these actions. So, for example, if you want to get really rich, you should live according to these rules. Okay. And the hypothetical imperatives only apply to you if you have the goal. Right. So the rules of getting rich don't apply to you if you don't want to get rich, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so the rules of becoming a, a lawyer don't apply to you if you don't want to become a lawyer. The rules of becoming a, I don't know, like a astronaut, don't apply to you if you are not interested in that.
0: Yeah. Could you imagine you didn't want to become an astronaut, but you still had to do all the training every day? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: fucking suck. That's fucking bad. That would suck.
1: Guess what? Now you get to live at the bottom of the ocean for two weeks. Congratulations.
0: I don't even want to go to space. Like, why are you making me do this? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be a ballerina. I wanted to be the black swan. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So those two kinds of rules, those are about rules. Those are about actions whose, and the the goal of the action is to satisfy a desire. Right. So most of our actions are probably aimed at satisfying some desire that we have. Yeah. Yeah. That's just. Yeah. That's how you. That's just fucking life. That is life. Uh, We're satisfying our desires. But Kant thinks that when you, if you're acting just to satisfy a desire, your action is not really a free action, and the reason for that is that, well, it's true that you're still an uncaused cause. The action is about satisfying a desire, and your desires are not totally within your control.
0: Right. I mean, what's the obsession with free will? Like, why does everybody want it so bad?
1: Well, Kent thinks we need it because... The desire to have free will is a trap. Very well, it could be, yeah. Um, It could be uh, an illusion. Did we we do an episode on that? Freedom is an illusion? Uh, I think so. Anyway, so... So Kant is like this, so he thinks that we're free, but all actions are governed by laws or these maxims. Any action can be free, an action can be free even if it is governed by a law. But an action that is governed by a law is only free if you chose the law. Okay. So for example, so if you are, if you live by the maxim uh, that whenever I am hungry, I will order a Domino's pizza. Mm-hmm. Now, it's true that when you order the pizza, that's your noumenal self doing its thing. But it's acting according to a rule that is, in a sense, chosen for you by your desire. So it's almost like your desire is imposing a law upon you, and you must act according to this law.
0: Right. So you're back to not having free will again.
1: Yeah, you're not You're not acting freely. Right. And so so for Kant, uh, any action that is not free cannot be... A kind of, It cannot be the action that morality would require because morality doesn't require you to do things that are outside of your control. Okay. Does that make sense?
0: Why don't you spin that by me one more time? Right. The last sentence you said. Okay. Sometimes if I stop paying attention to you for one millisecond, the whole rest of the sentence
1: doesn't make sense. So
0: go ahead. Try one more time.
1: All right. So remember that only actions, so Candice is saying that actions that are aimed only at gratifying our desires are not actually free actions. Got it. And the reason they're not actually a free action is because the action is governed by a law. So for example, suppose I want to satisfy my desire of being hungry.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Or I want to satisfy that desire. Your desire is to be hungry or your desire is to eat? Desire is to eat. Okay. So I decide that to satisfy that desire, I will follow the maxim of ordering a Domino's pizza.
0: Yeah. And he's saying that's not your... That's not actually your free choice to order Domino's. You did it because you were hungry. If you never were hungry, you would have not ordered from Domino's, right? Well, yeah, but... You're never spontaneously ordering pizza. It got, has to be because you're hungry. I mean, I don't know. You
1: might be able to spontaneously order pizza. I've never done it. Have you ever ordered pizza when you weren't hungry? Um, I don't know. That doesn't mean it's not possible, though. That's true. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the point is, is that the, the desire, the hunger, the desire created by the hunger, is outside of your control. Ah, I see. So your action is sort of being governed, you have to do your action according to this law, but the law is partly outside of your control. Right. So it's not a free action because it's following a rule that you didn't really choose.
0: The only reason you're thinking about food is outside of your control, essentially.
1: Right. So whenever you're acting to satisfy a desire, you're acting partly on this basis of something that's outside of your control. And so it's not free. Things that are outside of your control are not free.
0: No. Anything that you want to do in life is, it, I don't think there's any such thing as a, as a, as a desire that's totally your own uh, like creation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can't spontaneously create your own desires. They happen via other things that happen or you witness or you see or you
1: want. You see it yeah. happening there, you want it suddenly. It's not like you decide to want something. Yeah, right. We have these factory settings that sort of determine what our desires are going to be. And we don't really get a say in that. Yeah. It's outside of our control.
0: And everybody wants different shit, too, which is, that's kind of interesting as well. It, like not ev- Not always, like, everyone desires to not be, you know, death by exposure. Everybody desires to eat if they're, you know, a human being. That's, I guess, not anorexic. Mm-hmm. Uh, my argument's falling apart around me already, <laughs>
1: but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I know what you're saying. So actually I have no idea what you said, but that's okay. We can, we can press on. <laughs> I'm trying to say that all your
0: desires are out. What if they, you, you acquire uh-huh. a desire spontaneously. Like it, uh, you can't do It's always because of something you've seen or witnessed or you need physically.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: You're a slave to your own desires because they didn't you didn't decide totally on your own what
1: you want right yeah, perfect, so basically we can't uh if if an action is if the only reason you're doing the action is because it's to satisfy a desire, it's not a free action. so actions that are free would have to be actions that we would do that we're doing regardless of any desire, not because of a desire. Mm. I can't think of any actions like that Well, there are actions that you do just because they are morally required. You're obligated to do it. Okay. Not to satisfy your desire, but the goal is to do the action for its own sake because it's morally required.
0: Is there an example that you're thinking of of one of these desires that you do, even though you don't, I mean, not desire, actions you take? Okay.
1: So suppose um, suppose you make a promise to someone. Right. That you are going to deliver them a package tomorrow. Mm-hmm. and you find out that there's a big party going on tomorrow. All your friends are going to be there, and you're invited. Yeah. But in order to go to the party, you would have to break your promise to deliver the package. Right. And you feel that even though you really want to go to the party, you know that it would be such a terrible dick move on your part to, to break your promise that you, you have to say, you know that morally like you're required to fulfill this promise, like the person really expects the package. You made a promise, and you really feel like you should honor that promise. Yeah, and you do, and so you you deliver the package. And the only reason you deliver the package is because you know that you have a moral obligation to deliver it. Kant would say that that is a free action.
0: Well, the desire there would be the desire to not feel like shit, right?
1: Um, No, no, you're not doing it. I mean, that might be like a positive consequence, but the reason that you're doing it is not to avoid feeling guilty. The reason is to is because you know it's the right thing to do. Well, that's debatable. No, I'm I'm postulating that. I'm postulating that as the example. Here's a little twist on
0: that example. If this person who wanted the package delivered, you knew suddenly that they suddenly had complete memory loss and don't remember the package at all. Even though you agreed to deliver it, they wouldn't know if you didn't deliver it because they don't remember the agreement at all to deliver the package. So do you still deliver the package or do you go to the party because in that way, no one loses? I guess it depends on what the package is. Is it their insulin? <laughs> is that why they're having memory loss? They're, they need their medicine.
1: Okay. Here's, well, here's how Kent basically thinks about it. And maybe we can show you why he would say, no, 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 you have to keep your promise even if they are mentally disabled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, and the reason is that, uh, so Kant thinks that if you're going you the free actions are categorical imperatives and these are actions that you ought to do regardless of your desires. Even if you don't want to do them, you you still are obligated to do them. Right. So to know if an action is a moral action or not, you have to see if it could be a categorical imperative. And so the test to see whether or not something could be a categorical imperative is whether it is at a bare minimum possible for everyone to do it. Not that it would be good if everyone did it, just if it would be possible for everyone to do it. Okay. So consider the promise thing, right? So in this case, you would be saying like, look, I want to break a promise and I want to break it and I'm going to break this promise. And that's my maxim is I will break promises when it is convenient for me. Right. Now, is it possible for you to will that everyone in the world, universally will follow that rule and that they will break promises when it is convenient to them. What do you mean by, is it possible? Okay. So basically what it means,
0: like, is that something you would want? Cause the answer is obviously no, you can't just have everyone out there breaking promises.
1: No, the answer is it's not about what you want or what would be good. It's whether or not it's possible. So consider if everyone broke promises, whenever it was convenient for them, would promises have any weight anymore? Or would they just become sort of meaningless statements that nobody takes seriously? They would definitely become meaningless meaningless statements. Right. So then your sort of goal of uh, having this goal that you can break a promise when it can sort of get you something convenient, it's actually going to be impossible to follow that because no one's going to believe your promises anyway. like, it's not going to matter. The whole purpose of the whole point of promises will just sort of evaporate and promises won't mean anything anymore was actually impossible to to will that everyone would do that. And so Ken would say that actually guess what? You're not allowed to break a promise.
0: Yeah. You know what? I've always thought promises were way too promises were way too binding. I think that's <laughs> I think they should get rid of them anyways.
1: Well, legally they're not very binding.
0: Okay. Well, I don't remember the last time I made a fucking promise because I don't think that you should put yourself in that situation.
1: <laughs> but yeah, the world operates by contracts, not promises.
0: Yeah, contracts you need, promises can, you know,
1: we don't need them. Breaking a contract is like, eh, who cares, whatever, they broke it. Breaking a promise is like, oh, fuck that guy. I
0: think promises are more for your personal social life.
1: Yeah, you need to be careful when you do them because you know that breaking them is uh, is a bad bad thing. That's why I never make them. I
0: never make something and that way I never break something. That's how I live. Yeah. If you don't make it, you can't <laughs> break it. Exactly.
1: You don't break it, you can't fix it. Right. Right.
0: If you don't break it, you don't have to fix it. If you ever make anything, you can't break anything, and thus, you never need to fix anything. That's my maxim. If you don't fix it, yeah. If you don't fix it, you can't break it either. It's nice. Well, why don't you guys listening send us your maxims, your personal creeds of how you live life, to tpspodcast420 at gmail.com. How about that? How about you do that? Huh? I know some of you out there listening. Send us an email. Anything else to add, Sam? We're about, we're about there. We're about at that time. Um, I feel like we've talked about this subject before. We've definitely touched on these. We talked
1: about it a little bit at the end of last, last week's episode because we were talking about how.
0: No, no, no. I think we, I think we covered, I think we talked about like this subject with these same philosophers. (laughs) Like, Thirty episodes ago
1: no I don't I don't think so
0: but I might be wrong
1: maybe who knows whatever who cares
0: we're at episode 40 everybody big four zero we're middle-aged podcast now um anything else that's it I'm done okay that was an interesting one yeah sometimes these concepts are hard to follow but
1: that's because I'm stupid so we didn't even do this is the easy this is this is the easiest stuff and can't this is his most this is him at his most understandable He's really
0: making me feel like shit right now, Sam. It was I took everything I had mentally <laughs> to 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 come to grips with that 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 lesson.
1: <laughs> well, just you can only act if you could will that your action would be a universal maxim. It's pretty pretty digestible.
0: You say that like that's supposed to be like an easy thing to <laughs> put into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty tough actually. I think I'm too dumb to be on this podcast.
1: But does it is, does it make sense at all like
0: yeah, no, I, 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 I get it and I just did air quotes, get it, but I uh I, I definitely I, I feel like we are just skimming the surface on this one.
1: Oh, but yeah, by necessity. I mean people take entire courses on this guy.
0: That's wild to me.
1: Yeah, we're doing it in like forty minutes.
0: Well, if you guys have any questions, email us. You can uh questions, concerns, insults, insult my intelligence. <laughs> um I think that's it. That's it. Y'all have a good week.
1: Stay cool. Oh,